What do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> I guess the cross would be a good subject, to <laughs> I pretty well hammered that last uh, Sunday, I think. I think that's the best I've ever said the cross. Yeah, that was a beautiful message. Mm -hmm. I always have something to say, but I, I often want to try to give people the space to bring something to the table when we sit around like this. Something about Noah's Ark, I've just seen like shows and stuff and how they explain it and it doesn't sound right. But the way I learned Noah's Ark was kind of like in children's church and I don't remember it that much. Or it just is like a tough feeling, kind of like God brought his wrath upon the earth and I never understood it. Noah's Ark. Yeah, and I'll send you a 13 minute clip because I, I did a third before the service last week i went off for about 13 minutes about noah's ark and connected it to the the end what's going to happen on the last day um if you go you cannot you cannot you can't understand the scriptures at all outside of having them interpret it through the man jesus um if you try and interpret the scriptures outside of what you see in jesus you're going to get it all wrong yes and you can see things in the old testament that if you don't interpret them through Jesus, you'll come with an explanation that is so far off from God and what's really going on, you'll junk it all up. And we'll just use as an example when Jesus went into Samaria and uh, they rejected him, right? And I think it was John and, and Peter or John and James were like, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on this guy so that they can be consumed? Now listen, when they said that, they were referencing an Old Testament scripture mm -hmm. where fire showed up and some people were consumed. And their interpretation was that God was filled with anger and so he consumed these guys. Well, gee, And so they thought, well, surely we're going to consume these guys now. Right? And Jesus says something interesting. He says, you don't know what spirit you are of. And he says that, that I'm not coming to the world to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so he, Jesus gives a real quick and concise description of the Spirit of God, which would be his heart, right? When you talk about the Spirit of God, you're talking about the heart of God, the personification of God. Like you guys know me, and you could say the Spirit of Greg, right? Because you see what's in me. You see my heart. And so Jesus real quickly describes the heart of God in that situation. And he says the heart of God can never be to destroy people's lives. The heart of God can only ever be to save people's lives. And he, so he, he gives an alternative way of trying to interpret things. Okay, So if you go back and try to read Noah like it's a novel, it's not a novel. Okay, So with a novel, you can just read it, and you can gather the picture that's topically being painted. right? And if you have a great imagination, you can wander off and imagine other things involved. Right? But the scriptures are not like a novel where you just read it topically and you decide that's what's it. The Bible talks all the time about them being dark sayings. Right? A dark saying means that it's a parable to the carnal mind. What's it, what it's actually teaching is hidden. Right? It's hidden to the carnal mind. Dark sayings of old. Utterances of old. What it's saying is something was said here in these scriptures. But the meaning of what's being said there is actually hidden. It's a mystery. Yeah. That's why Paul would come and say the mystery has been revealed in Jesus Christ. 
Okay, that's why Proverbs says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. You have to actually desire to wrestle with God to get to the meaning of what these things are actually trying to teach. Right? It isn't just like a, well, let me read over it quickly, and I'll just read over it quickly. That's what it means. No, it's like a dance with God, right? Where he's teaching you a dance, and you don't know nothing about this dance. I don't know if you've ever tried to learn to dance before, but when you don't know nothing about dancing, you have some missteps along the way. You don't know the dance yet. You don't know this step in the dance. And so you might keep messing it up. And so there's like a tension, and you can feel frustrated when you don't know the dance steps. I remember when I was teaching the Romans Bible study, I would get so frustrated with God because I was like, I just want to read it and know what it means. <laughs> right? Can I just read it and know what it means? That's right. And I was getting so angry. Yeah. See, but I was thinking like just a man. Yeah. I was thinking like a carnal man. God's like, listen, bro, this ain't about you just reading it topically. This is about you and me engaging, dancing and questioning each other, and questioning what we read, and questioning what we see, and putting Jesus next to it. It's a its a very involved thing, man. It's not just about you reading a book. And many humans read want to read a book, and they want to just say what the, they think the book says. And they don't want to have any of that tension, any of that dancing, okay? Now, I said a whole lot of mouthfuls um, just about the scriptures, right? There is a mystery contained in the Old Testament. And you have to desire to sit with God and wrestle with it if you want to see what it's actually saying. Okay? And the mystery was revealed in Jesus. Now, if you go and read, in light of Jesus being the interpretation of all the scriptures, because Luke 24 um, says when Jesus was walking with the disciples, he opened up all of the scriptures to them and revealed himself in all of the scriptures. He revealed how they were all talking about him and pointing to him and revealing uh, or pointing that God would be revealed in his face. Okay? So Noah would be included in that. And if you take all that into account and you go and read Noah chapter 6, what it says is, is that, the and you look into the Hebrew and you weigh it in light, in light of Jesus, what it says there is, is that God, was grieved over the suffering that was in the earth, right? That's what it says there. It says that God's heart was grieved over the suffering he saw human beings were experiencing. That's what the word repentant means. You have to actually go look it up in the Hebrew to understand that word means grief, right? It made him sad. He hurt in the deepest part of his being. Any of you have ever felt sad over the suffering of another person? Mm -hmm. Any of you ever felt like it's not right? Any of you ever just been overwhelmed with that feeling of grief? Okay, that's what it's saying about God. That he looked down into the earth and he saw that the, that the imaginations of all the people there were only ever evil. Okay, now that word evil there is for your conscience to be filled with laboring and a toiling. It means that you're at, your soul is agitated on an account of you wanting life from your own works and you not being able to give yourself life. And so a lust comes upon you where you're lusting after life through everything in the world. Okay, And so God looked down at the earth and he saw that man's imaginations were filled with laboring and toiling all of the time. And because they were laboring to give themselves life, all types of horrible things were happening. Because when you think you can find life in your own strength, 
what happens is, is you're always looking at everything around you and determining what you think you don't have that you need. And you don't just sit with your own ideas about what you think you need that you don't have. You're comparing yourself amongst yourselves. And so you're looking at your neighbor and seeing what they have. And then you're weighing yourself next to them. Do I have what they have? Is what I have as good as what they have? And, and so you could be over there looking at John down the road and you could be thinking, man, John's wife is nice. And maybe you don't have a wife. And so you start thinking, you know what? I need John's wife. And if I could have John's wife, then I could have the life that I need. Well, because you don't know the Lord and you're filled with laboring to give yourself life, do you know what was going on in the days of Noah? You gone and killed John. So you could take his wife. And you think his wife was happy about coming along with you? She's married to this other dude. So now what are you subjecting his wife to so that you can be filled with what you say you need for life? Yeah. That's just a, one example of what was going on. You're talking about an earth filled with people all lusting after life through their own strength and what those people might be doing to one another. And this is what God looks down and sees. Mm. And so... He's hurting bad at the suffering he sees in the earth. And he sees, we got a problem. My spirit is not striving with human beings. Meaning that they're also flesh. And so they can see the death that's in the world and the death in their flesh. And they're not fellowshipping with my spirit of life. And so because of that, man, death upon death is manifesting in the earth. And so it grieved his heart. Right? And so what God's like, we got to cleanse the earth from death we got to cleanse the earth from this suffering. And so what he does is, that's why Noah's called a preacher of righteousness. Yep. A preacher of righteousness, if you go and read, I think it's in Psalm 40s, it describes the preacher of righteousness as somebody who comes and declares the goodness of God to save you from your suffering. The guy is in the miry pit, the miry clay. It's prophesying of Jesus being dead in the grave. God come and found him in the miry clay, picked him up out of the grave. And the guy says, I will declare the, your righteousness, O Lord, in the midst of the great congregation. It says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So God tells Noah, listen, my heart is hurting over the suffering of the people. And the suffering that's happening to the people is at the hands of the death that's in the earth. So I'm going to cleanse the earth from the death. I'm going to wash it clean. Water is a sign of being cleansed from something, right? You take a bath, what do you take a bath for? Because you'd be stinking, <laughs> right? And so you want to be cleansed. And so the God is thinking, I'm going to cleanse the earth from death. And Noah saw that God's eyes were full of grace, meaning that God's eyes were filled with mercy and with the ability to overcome the death that was in the earth. And so God has Noah to build an ark so that people could get onto the ark and their lives could be preserved from the death that's going to be cleansed or the end that's coming to death. God's going to bring an end to death. He's got a problem. There's people in the earth, and he doesn't want the people to die. So how am I going to preserve these people's lives while I cleanse the earth from death? We're going to have Noah build an ark. And it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And so Noah, for 120 years, was declaring to all the people that God has heard our cry. His heart is grieved over our suffering. He's going to cleanse the earth from the death that is stinging us. And he's having me build this ark so that our lives will be preserved from the end that's coming to death. Okay? Now listen, 
John would come and say that God so loved the world, he sent his son. That all those who would believe on him would not perish, right? But have everlasting life. But then John says that some people love the darkness more than the light. And they don't want life. And they don't want the light. And so Noah's busy telling people about the goodness of God to give them life, free from their works, and about his goodness to cleanse the earth from death. But they didn't want the light. And they didn't love the light. They wanted the darkness, meaning they wanted the death more than they wanted life. And so God can't make anybody get on the boat. Just like he can't make anybody take eternal life. But I promise you, there's coming a day for God where he feels so much hurt over what he sees that he ain't just going to allow suffering. He's not just going to sit back and let the suffering continue on for eternity. There's a moment that's coming where the cries are too much. And he can't take it anymore. He's hurting too bad over the suffering. And his mind is filled with, I'm going to bring an end to death. And that's what his mind was filled with in the days of Noah. I'm bringing an end to this death. But he didn't want anyone to perish. And he knows if people don't get in this ark, they're going to perish with death. But he knows he can't make them get in the ark. And he's not going to allow death to be king. God is not going to allow death to reign. You see what I'm saying? And so the ark and the Noah's ark is about heaven and earth colliding. And it's about God bringing the life that was in heaven into the earth to cleanse the earth from the death. And that's why you could have the whole earth that's flooded, right? If you read in Genesis, it says there's a sea in heaven separating the earth. And so there's a sea in the earth and there's a sea in heaven. They look separated right now because there's a physical heaven and earth that are separated right now. Not separated in the sense that we don't have the keys to heaven or that heaven and earth haven't collided already in us, but the physical heaven and the physical earth have not become one yet. Right. Right? right. Well, in that moment, the sea that's in heaven and the sea that's in earth became one. And that's why the whole earth flooded. And the whole earth was flooded with the intent to cleanse it from death. If you look in the scriptures, water is always used as a sign of cleansing from death and sin. And if you go and read in Peter, Peter describes the flood in an amazing way. He, he doesn't say that the people were destroyed by the flood. See, that you're thinking wrong if you think people were destroyed by the flood. No, people were destroyed by death. That's what they were destroyed by, not by the flood. The flood is the life that destroyed death. The death is what destroyed these people, right? And so if you read in, in Peter, he makes a magnificent statement about the flood. He says that Noah and the eight were saved by the flood. He says they were saved by the flood. And so the flood came to save people from death and to save people from suffering. But some people didn't want to be saved from death or to be saved from the darkness. They loved the darkness more than the death. And so they condemned themselves to the same end that was coming to death. Okay? You guys following that so far? I said a whole lot of mouthfuls. Now, Noah didn't just happen in Noah. Noah is pointing to something that's going to happen again on the last day, or what the scriptures call the last day, which is the coming of our Lord Jesus. There's coming a day in this earth where the cries are going to grow so loud that 
God's not going to be able to take the suffering that he sees. And he's going to see that his spirit is not really striving in the world anymore. Meaning that the, the people in the earth don't want nothing to do with his spirit. They don't want nothing to do with life. They love the darkness more than they love the light. In that moment where the cries and the suffering have become too great, God's not just going to allow death to continue to punish people, even people who aren't saved. He's not just going to allow eternal suffering. And so there's coming a day where the cries that are in the earth over the suffering in the world is so great, just like it was in the days of Noah, that God himself is coming back to the earth. And heaven and earth are going to collide once again. And this time, it's not going to be water that baptizes the earth. It's going to be the fire of his life. Now, it's not a fire that burns like we think of, oh, don't touch the fire. It's like the light of life. It's like a pure light that's so pure that it's full of nothing but light. And so heaven and earth, the sea will be removed. You can read about this in Revelation, where it says the sea that separated heaven and earth, the sea that was talked about in Genesis 1, a physical sea that separated heaven and earth, the first heaven is what it's called in the ancient Jewish mind. That's going to be removed, and God is coming with his life in his hand, and he's going to say, let there be light. And he's going to baptize the earth in the light of his life when heaven and earth become one. Right? Right? That's to remove death. That's why it says death is cast into the lake of fire. Right? So God comes to take out the death. That's what he came to do in Noah's day. But God looks at human beings and sees that they're in his image. They're not a lesser kind of a being. They're not a dog. Right? Like my dog don't get to decide what it's going to do. Right? I decide for the dog what it's going to do. Right? The dog doesn't decide when it's going outside, when it's coming inside, when it's going to eat, when it's going to go for a walk. I decide for the dog. Well, God doesn't see us like a dog. So he, he don't decide for us. God sees us as being his equals. He sees us as being in his image. He looks at us and he sees himself. So he can't force us to want life and he can't force us to want to have life. And so God at some point has to bow his head to us as co-equals and let us loose to have what we want, right? Now, the, the ark, it was the ark in the Noah's day. And God said, pitch the ark within and without so that the water that's going to cleanse the earth doesn't creep into the ark and corrupt you inside of the ark to where you're kept by the flood, okay? Now, listen, when you look at that word in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word kapah. And kafar means atonement. And so it was a sign of God pitching us within and without with the atonement or the restoration of his life so that we wouldn't be consumed when he baptizes the earth in fire. That's why John says, there's one, I baptized you in water, but there's one coming after me that will baptize you in fire, the fire of God's life. So that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. That's why you see the tongue of fire over people's head, Right? Just like God had Noah build the ark and for 120 years tell the people, God loves you. He's hurt hurt over your hurting. This is what he's going to do to save you from your suffering. Get into the boat. Another one that came in the likeness of Noah that Noah was actually talking about. His name is the Lord Jesus. And he's actually the preacher of righteousness. And he comes out of the grave having been pitched within and without by the fire of God's life. 
And he begins declaring to all the people in the earth, God has heard your cries. He's heard your suffering. He sees what death is doing to you. He sees what death is stinging your heart with. He sees how it's taking you captive, delivering and toiling, and bringing forth all manner of concupiscence. And what he's done is, he's conquered death inside of my flesh. And he's done that so he can pour out the spirit of his life, the spirit of me, onto you. And you can be pitched within and without with the fire of this life. So that when the cries grow too much, and he sees that his spirit is no longer striving with the men in the earth, he, and he's coming back with heaven in his hands, and the fire of his life to baptize all of creation, you'll be pitched within and without. You'll be in the ark of his life. And you won't perish with death. Because death is going to die. Death is going to end. And God don't want you to die with death. But if you don't want his life, and you rather love the darkness and love the death, he can't keep you from that end. But that's not God killing anyone. That's death killing people. Yeah, you see? So, right. Does that make any sense? Great question. Oh, man. <laughs> I tried to go into a bunch of detail. You probably didn't want all that detail. But I'll, I'll oversimplify it. God was crying because of the suffering people were experiencing. He saw the thing that was causing the suffering was death. So he wanted to cleanse the earth from death. And that's what he did, right? And he made had Noah build the ark so that people could be saved from the death. But he couldn't make them get on the ark, right? Some people made fun of Noah and thought Noah was an idiot. And they refused to get on the ark. It's like Jesus said about Jerusalem. When he came to gather them to himself, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I came to gather you to myself, but you would not. And he's crying. He's not just crying because he wanted to have a party and nobody came to his party, right? It, it wasn't like that. I mean, it's sad when you throw a party and nobody comes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You feel nobody loves me. I mean, so th that could feel sad, but that's not why Jesus was crying about Jerusalem not coming to him when he gathered them. He was crying because he knew that meant destruction was going to come upon them. And so that's a picture of what God felt when Noah is telling the people, get into the boat. And you can just hear God echoing. And you see that interpreted in the Lord Jesus. I came to gather you to myself. I came to gather you into this ark while I brought an end to the death that was warring against you. But you would not. Right? Does, do you have any questions about that? Does that make any sense? It's 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 primarily a pro, it's a real event that happened, but it's a prophetic thing. And if you like studying the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy, which is what prophecy actually is, we've turned prophecy into telling people what kind of job they're going to have, right? <laughs> and whether they're going to have a bunch of money. I don't say you can never give a word that could be an encouragement because the spirit moves as the spirit wills. Sure. But the primary form of prophecy is to declare the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. And if you look in the Old Testament scriptures, those events that happened, Noah, the Exodus, uh, the Tower of Babel, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, all of those things, those are real events that happened, but they're all painting a picture of things and how it's going to go down on the last day and what the cause of it was, and what's really happening there. All those different kinds. Of, like you see fire come down in Sodom and Gomorrah, mm -hmm. right? Well, when you look in the Hebrew, do you know what it means that fire came down? It means that God showed up. And again, if you study that closely, it says he showed up because of the suffering of the people. 
And if you look at what they were doing, I mean, listen, man, two angels showed up to hang out with Lot, and the people are trying to beat down the door so they could sodomize the angels in the streets. Now, what do you think is going on in the streets there? And Lot, God bless Lot, man, I don't think he's thinking straight. He's like, let me give you my virgin daughters. The Lord's like, that's not the answer, bro. That's <laughs> when <laughs> you see the angels close the door. And they go back and tell God, and they're like, Lord, the, the people in Sodom and Gomorrah w- will not. They will not come to the light. And God shows up. And it's not God that kills. It's the sin dwelling in people that works death in them. If they don't have the light of God's light, when God shows up, if you're not clothed in the light of God's life, and God God Almighty shows up, stands on the ground, and looks at you, and you see flames in his eyes, and you see his hair floating, and he's shining with the light of light, and you don't see yourself in that same light, I promise you, you're going to feel upset in your heart. You're going to feel confounded and ashamed. And he's going to be there to save. He's going to be there to gather you to himself. But if you don't see yourself in his face, you ain't coming to him. You're running away, and you're cowering away from him unto destruction. It's you condemning yourself to destruction, not him. Right. And so it's death that would kill the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, not God. But the carnal mind always blames God. The carnal mind always blames God because they can't comprehend God. So they see death, and it's God, right? Like Adam. It's that woman you gave me. Adam sees death and he sees his nakedness. He sees the calamity in the earth. And what does he do? He blames God and he blames the woman. He never thought to think, maybe I shouldn't have eaten from that tree. (laughs) Maybe that tree did this to me. Not God or the woman. Hmm. Guys, listen, man. That that symptom from Adam, it it can like flare up inside of us sometimes where we want to blame the woman. Once in a while. Right? Listen, the next time you hear your mind thinking that woman, (laughs) listen, hear the voice of God and let Adam serve as a reminder to you that maybe you're misinterpreting it and maybe it's something going on in you that's causing the problem and not the woman. And maybe sit and have a conversation with God about what's going on in you that has maybe brought the destruction you see. Right? Glenn. To that point, sometimes we interpret scriptures based on what's going on in our own headspace, as opposed to through the lens of the loving and living Jesus Christ. So in our age, you know, fire is a terrible thing. So the fire bombing of Tokyo, their houses were wood-based and paper-based. So 100,000 people died in one night as far as napalm. So in our age, fire is bad. But if you're looking at it uh, from the age or the epics that the scriptures were provided to us, fire was life. Fire was how this stuff that became inedible sustained you. Fire is how you produce the tools that helped you live. So in those epics, Fire was a sign of life, whereas in our corrupted age, fire is a sign of uh, fear. And uh, but so, if you go into it 
from your own corrupted headspace as far as our ethic, as far as fire. You see the scripture sees one thing as far as fire, right? It's going to be like napalm, flame floor. Who wants to die? It's the worst way to die. But from their age, if you look at it from the perspective of what's well, coming from the love of Christ, what is fire? Well, fire means life universally at that time. Universally, it meant life. Absolutely. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. It, it purifies mm -hmm. and it cleanses. And so, yeah, God himself is coming with heaven and his life in his hand. Right. And that life is a light. It's a consuming fire. And what does it come to consume? It comes to consume death. Mm -hmm. And God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to him that they might have life. Right. But he can't make them. And neither is he going to allow death to live eternally. And so he has that, that kind of a situation. But that's... That's what it's talking about, the God is a consuming fire. And that's what the flood was about. It was about God consuming death, not destroying people. And the people that perished, they perished at the hands of death, not at the hands of God. And the reason they perished is because they didn't want the only life that won't die. I don't know if you guys realize it. Either you have the life of God. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it the way a heaven, a person thinking from above would say it. Because I know in the earth we have our own ideas of what it means to be alive and not be alive. If you don't have the life of God, you're dead now. Right. There's only one life that exists, and it's the life of God. And if you don't have God's life, you ain't living. You're dead now. You have death. That's what you have. Right? I mean, Paul would say it this way. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we're dead. We're yet in our sin. We're just dead. He didn't say we're alive and then we're going to die. He said we're dead. And so, listen, man, if you don't possess life, it's not that you're going to die. You're already dead. And you'll see the total manifestation of the death you have now manifested on the last day. Yes. Right? right. But you have the death now. Does not God come and bring you the death. You have the death now, and then because the death ended, and you joined in one with death, you brought an end to yourself, right? I, I do have to say, I it so touched my heart in a beautiful way, how you frame things in truth. And again, my own headspace, I can get all messed up, right, where I'm coming from it. But just like the end times and the days of Noah, it's like instead of God being a meanie, it's like, no, no. He's getting to the point where we feel often, it's like, enough of the suffering. Enough's enough. As far as, uh, that's beautiful. Where And where do we think we get that feeling? Mm, yes. Enough of the suffering. Exactly. We get it because there's eternity in our hearts. And we know death is contrary to life. And like, we, how long, Lord? How long? You see the same kind of thing with Nimrod. You know, Nimrod was the grandson of Ham. I think I'm getting my genealogy right. And Ham was the one that uncovered Noah's nakedness. And so Ham, his mind was filled with the wisdom of the serpent. And so Nimrod, when Nimrod started building the Tower of Babel, listen, man, you could say, he wanted to be like the Most High. I wouldn't, I wouldn't find fault with that statement. That, that could be consistent with what's going on. You could say he's trying to climb up to heaven and war against God. On a spiritual level, you could say that, right? 
And so I wouldn't find fault with someone saying that either. But the primary thing Nimrod was doing was he was thinking that God sent the flood to kill the people. And now we got to preserve ourselves and save ourselves from God. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to build a tower that's tall enough that the next flood that comes, we can climb up into the tower and we won't die. And so Nimrod blamed God for the death. Now, do you think Nimrod was thinking according to the truth? I promise you, he was not thinking according to the truth. No. Okay? And so, sadly, the church has thought more like Nimrod than they have like Jesus. And then we've taught little kids this stuff, like their nursery rhyme. When they're five, six, seven, eight years old, we're teaching little kids the mind of Nimrod and filling their mind with that concerning the flood instead of concerning what's going on, what's going on in reality, right? God's coming to gather all of us to himself. He's not going to allow death to continue to live. He's long-suffering right now, meaning he sees the suffering and he feels grief, but he doesn't want anyone to perish. And so he's pleading with people, get into the boat. Get into the boat. The gospel is Noah in the earth preaching right now. God has heard our cries. He's crying with us. And he's going to bring an end to this death. And he doesn't want you to perish with the death. And so he's trying to pitch you within and without with the fire of his life. So that when he comes to consume death, because his life is a consuming fire, that you won't be consumed with the death. That you won't die with death. Right? Yes. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is preaching. Jesus, the spirit of Christ was in Noah. Right? Yes. You see, you have to, I want to say you have to. If you actually want to teach the scriptures, you've got to reconcile a whole lot of things in the scriptures before you start talking about one scripture. Amen. Right? Like, you've you got to be able to read Noah in Genesis, and then you've got to know in Hebrews it says Noah is a preacher of righteousness. So then immediately, I'm just going to walk some people through this. Because I promise you, people listen to me and they like, how does he see that? Well, it's actually in the scriptures if you actually want to know. And so it says in the Hebrews, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So then you should ask yourself, okay, so Noah was preaching to the people when he was making the ark. Because it says he was a preacher of righteousness. Now your carnal mind will begin to tell you that Noah was telling the people that they were bad boys and girls. That Noah was telling them they were despicable and they were the hated of God. Mm. And they're going to burn in hell. That's what the carnal mind will tell you the preacher of righteousness is. But, oh, guess what? There's many verses that actually define what a preacher of righteousness is. You don't get to decide for yourself. And so you can go and read what a preacher of righteousness is because it makes it real clear. The preacher of righteousness is a guy that sees the goodness of God to save people from death. And so he stands in the midst of the world and begins telling the people about the goodness in God's heart to save them from their suffering. Now, all of a sudden, you're starting to get a picture being painted. And you see the long suffering. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? 120 years. I know we read those verses carnally and we don't understand and we think that, it, oh man, we'll only live 120 years now. That's not what it says. It says and uh, it will be 120 years before the flood comes. That's how long it'll take Noah to build the ark. 
So God was long-suffering in the days of Noah, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting all the people to get into the ark. And so 140 years, he had Noah telling the people, not just with his words, but in building this ark. God has me to build this ark. He wants to preserve us from the suffering and the death. But they would not. And God was long-suffering. Do you guys see the picture? Do you see the things you have to weigh? Do you see how that, that comes to give shape to you? This is the wrestling that you do with God. Because you can read Genesis chapter 6, and you can, oh, that's... <laughs> how did Greg piece all that together? How, how does he come... How did, well, I start with Hebrews. Noah's a preacher of righteousness. Well, what is a preacher of righteousness? Oh, I see Psalm 40 tells me a preacher of righteousness is someone declaring God's goodness to the people to save them from death. So I see that Noah was telling the people about God's goodness towards them to save them from death. That's what Noah was telling them. Okay, that tells me the heart of God was one to save and not one to destroy. All right, now I start reading those things. Dang, 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 dang. And they start coming in line. And you start getting a revelation. And then you start seeing Jesus, saying he doesn't come to destroy. He comes to save. And you see that Jesus is the preacher of righteousness. And you see the gospel is also declaring what? That God so loved the world that he was hurting in his heart at the suffering they were experiencing at the hands of death. So he sent his son into the earth to declare God's goodness to save us from death and to heal us from our suffering. You see all that in Jesus. And then you see it says, but some people love the darkness and they don't want the light. You, you guys know what darkness is, right? It's death. So if people love death and they want death, does that mean God's the one that killed them? No. Nope. The scripture says God has no darkness in him. It says in whom there is no darkness. It says about God. So there's no darkness in God. And then there's people who love darkness. And then the people who love darkness perish. But we say God's the one who killed them, even though it says there's no darkness in God. What killed the people, the darkness or God? The darkness. You see? It even says that in Revelation. When, when the tribulation, and the tribulation doesn't come at the hands of God. You know the tribulation in, in the Exodus? This is how you use these pictures to formulate your belief about the last day. The plagues that came in Exodus did not come at the hands of God. If you read the scriptures carefully there, what it says is that God judged the gods of Egypt. It doesn't say he judged the Egyptians. Does he judge the gods of Egypt? What that means is God came and said, those gods you're worshiping, they don't have life to give you. All they have to give you, the reward they have to pay you with, is death. And God tried through Moses many times to get Pharaoh to turn away from the gods that were serving them with death. And he would not. And so you see the tribulation in Revelation. It's not at the hands of God. It's God once again declaring that the gods of this world, the idea that man can give themselves life by the works of their own hands, that God doesn't have life to give. It only has death. And God comes and declares that, and then it's revealed what it has to give. And so you see the death manifesting in the world, and you notice the people that are suffering at the hands of the tribulation. It says they repented not, and they blamed God. Do you see how they didn't repent? Because they blamed God. If you blame God for the death, you ain't coming to him. But God's not the one that has death in his hand to give. Paul come and said the gift God has to give is eternal life. 
John would come and say, God is love, in whom there is no darkness. No darkness! That means God doesn't have death in himself. I don't know if you guys realize this, but you can't be eternal life and have death in yourself. <laughs> no. And if you don't have death in yourself, then how are you going to be the one to give people death? You see? Yeah. And so it's the carnal mind that blames God for death. And Paul come and said, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It cannot comprehend God. What it means is, it doesn't know his heart. And in the presence of nakedness or death, it can't see that God's only filled with loving kindness to clothe. Right. It actually blames God for the nakedness and for the death. That's what the first Adam did when he saw his nakedness. Why do you think he ran and hid from God? Because he saw his nakedness and he was filled with the carnal mind. And he couldn't comprehend that God was with him to clothe him. He thought God was there to uncover his nakedness. Right. That's why God come and said, who told you you were naked? I mean, Adam really was naked. But what God was saying was, listen, man, you think I'm the one who said you're naked. You think I'm the one that came pointing. You think I'm the one that uncovered it. You think I'm the source of this nakedness that came upon you. I'm not the one, man. I'm the one who clothes. I'm not the one that uncovers. It's that tree you ate from that uncovered your nakedness. And now it's got you thinking that I punished you because you ate from the tree. And the reason it's bringing that forth in you is so you won't come to me. And I'm the only one that will heal you. I'm the only one that can heal you. And so that's the, that's the problem God had. It wasn't just that man was dying, but now the carnal mind told man the death they were dying was at the hands of God. That God punished them because of their sin. You ain't coming to a God that's the punisher. You're only coming to a God that's the Savior. And in fact, the word God and punishment don't go together. A person can't be God and be the punisher. In order to be God, you have to be Savior. And you might say, well, Greg, doesn't God take vengeance? Yeah, he takes vengeance on death. And the reason he takes vengeance on death is because death is punishing people. And people are his image. Yeah. Right? Right. You see that? Yeah. Now, most people don't want to spend the time that I've spent with God sorting this stuff out. No, no, no. I'm much happier just telling people that God's going to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. That's a, that's, you can be shocked how many people try and say, you don't quote the scriptures. Listen, man, I just quoted the whole Bible, Spirit of Prophecy, front to back, like five times over again. And if you don't understand the scriptures that I quoted and the, the magnitude of them, listen, you're going to have to take a, a, a pill of uh, medicine right now. And you could have a, a spoonful of sugar afterwards, if you like, because I'll hug it out with you and, and tell you I love you. But if you don't understand all the script, then you don't know the scriptures. Right. Right. And that's okay. That doesn't mean there's any shame for you. But you better come to the place, if you want to know the scriptures, that you don't know them now. <laughs> and then you can know them. That's the, I mean, before I knew anything, God first come to tell me, you don't know anything. And that was painful, because I thought I knew a whole lot. Mm. And I knew a bunch of verses. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the scripture. Exactly. Then he hugged it out with you. And then he did. He hugged it out with me. You'd be shocked how many times 
people. Like I had, I had someone uh, two last week. That message I preached. In the prayer, I quoted five verses. In the prayer, before I even started the message. And a guy says, he turns it off in 20 minutes because I didn't quote any scriptures. So I went back and looked at the 20 minutes. Listen, I referenced more than 50 verses in 20 minutes. I went back and counted. And so I said, listen, one time I'll sit and show all the verses I quoted. And then it's up to them to sort it out. Right? Like, I, listen, guys, this is just for me. So you guys have to bear with me when I say this. I had to be set free from this. I feel God telling me I'm done explaining how what I said is true. And I'm just starting to declare. And if people don't like it, so be it. Right? But I've spent 10 years trying to prove to everyone what it says. And maybe that was a good time to do it. But I feel like I'm done with that now. And I feel like I'm just going to declare the truth. And if people can't track along, well, if they really want to know, then they can get with God. And if people have sincere questions, I will explain. But in the messages that I'm preaching, I feel much more like evangelizing now. I feel much more like I'm done proving to you this is what it says. Right? Because I realized that was kind of fruitless. The people that, that want to, it to be proved to them, they don't really want to know. They just want to argue, right? The people that actually want to know, they've been convinced a long time ago. And here I am still trying to prove it. But I think that you got the resources now, too, that's very powerful. You know what I'm saying? To be able to point people to and just... Oh, yeah, all those messages. Yeah, yeah right. No, you're right. That's a very good point. Hey, yeah. And that's just for me. I felt so much pain over this is the truth, but no one will believe it. Sure. And so then I spent so much time trying to prove it. Right? And now I feel like... But that's done a lot of work than you. No, no, no. Good. You know what I'm saying? No, you're right. It wasn't wasted. No, the Lord redeems everything. But I definitely feel like the Lord inside of me is saying, yes. we, 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 we spent a decade proving, my man. Yeah. We declare it now. <laughs> right? I, I feel like I've spent a decade awesome. teaching, and now I want to just evangelize. Right. Right? Into this truth. Right. Which means I'll still spit out all kinds of things. And I'll still point everywhere. But I'm, it's like I'm laying down the burden of thinking I must prove it to them, right? So the other side of that is you've also equipped all of us now through all of that teaching. So as you go declare, if teaching needs to be done, there's enough people who've got the foundation already built in them that you can almost delegate, you know, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the resource, like Ryan said, the resources are here. We're sitting around the table. We've had that input into our hearts to, uh, you know, to, to build us up and to encourage us and to be able to, to speak the truth when someone wants to know what the truth is. Yeah, yeah. there's thousands of messages. Yeah. yeah. There's thousands. Yeah. yeah. And those Bible studies I'm doing verse by verse. Sure. I mean, go read. The, you want to read the Bible? You want to? Yeah. I'll quote every single verse. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you every single little jot and tittle of every single verse in that Bible study. And that's why I'm going to do that. Because I just want to evangelize the truth now. Like, there's a burning in my bones. And what I want to say is, to, to, to prophesy to myself, there's a consuming fire in me, right? And it's the life of God. And it's like, I just want to evangelize into the life of God now. People into the life of God. Because either a person's heart is already wanting the life of God, or it's not. Yeah. Right? You know what I'm saying? And I'm done trying to prove to people that they should want life. I'm just going to declare the life of God and let people be evangelized into the truth. What would your definition of death be? Well, I mean, you have the, the various stages of death. If you look at God, 
No, it's all good. If you look at God's description of death in the garden, when he tells Adam, if you eat from this tree, you'll die. If you look at the way God describes that, the ultimate manifestation of death would be to return to the dust of the ground. So we would call that the grave. Or well, we would say, you die, right? You stop breathing. Well, then you have um, the various stages of what that death could look like while your body is still alive, right? Right, yeah, you could, your heart could be stung by the fear of death, and then the fruit of death could come out of you. So hatred, envying, gossiping, backbiting, uh, murder, all those things would be the fruit of death, which would still be consistent with death. Then you have the, the mindset or the carnal mind would also be consistent with what death is because it says the carnal mind is death. And so the carnal mind would be a way of thinking that is filled with death. And the carnal mind is uh, death that way would be lack. I lack what I need for life and God likeness, right? I don't, what I, I don't have what I need to have peace and love and joy. That would also be death. That thought would be born from death. You're experiencing a form of death if your mind is filled with that. Right. And you might think, well, if a person doesn't have Jesus, then they are lacking what they need to have life and God likeness. And the way I would respond to that is by saying, well, no, they're not, because there's nothing keeping them from the tree of life. They can walk up and partake of life anytime they like. Anytime they like, they can come to God and they can find their desire for peace and love and joy satisfied. There's nothing in their way. Right. There's nothing in their way. And so all those things would be consistent with death in the various stages of how that works itself out. If I wanted to use Lucifer, if you want to call him that, but Jesus, when the apostles came back, and they, the disciples before they were apostles, and they were all excited because they had authority over the demons. Look at the authority we have. Sound familiar? There's millions of people in the modern-day church that's so excited about the authority they have. And what did Jesus say when all the disciples came back, wowing in their authority to cast out demons and perform miracles? Jesus said, I see Satan falling from heaven. Mm. Right? right? And then he said, don't rejoice that you can, you, you can perform miracles or that you have authority over these demons, but rather that your name is written in the book of life. Rather, let your heart rejoice that you possess a life that has no lacking. So if I wanted to look at Lucifer and what death looked like in him, because uh, I've been talking with our dear friend Brad uh, and Gwen in, in Tulsa, and him and I got this funny thing we go back and forth with, and it messes a lot of people up around us, but we say, what came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first, <laughs> sin or death? Mm. And people are like, <laughs> most people immediately would just say sin. Hmm. Well, and there's the verse that says the wages of sin is death. But then there's also the verse that says the sting of death is sin. <laughs> Seems like a yeah. circuitous kind of thing there. And so if I looked at Lucifer, what I would describe in Lucifer is, is I would say that his heart was first filled with lack. He wanted something he didn't think he had. Right? You can argue about what he wanted, but he wanted something he didn't think he had. Some type of honor or glory he didn't think he had that he thought he should have. And when he saw he didn't have it, that feeling of I don't have what's rightfully mine, I don't have what I need for honor and glory, that was death being present with him. And that corrupted his wisdom. That gave birth to the carnal mind, which said, I'm going to, by my own ability, gather unto myself the life that I need. Right? 
That would be sin or iniquity to be lifted up in your heart and to say, I'm going to gather to myself the life that I need. He looked at the river from which he had been clothed in beauty with, and he rejected the river of life. Right? That's sin. That's iniquity. Wouldn't the thought that he lacked be the sin? That would be the form of death. The, the sin would be him saying, I'm going to gather. About trying to yeah, it's it. not a sin to feel. Like, if you feel lack one day, that doesn't. that's not a sin, right? It's, it's, is that lack conceived in your heart? And conceived means, has that lack now given birth to the idea in you that by your own strength, you're going to get life for yourself, right? Like Cain, when he saw that Abel's, uh, Abel was exalted and he wasn't, he felt great lack, right? But then God came to Cain and was like, listen, man, won't you also be exalted if you offer the lamb like Abel? Look, there's a lamb crouching right outside the door. I even provided the lamb. Sound familiar? God said he would provide a lamb. And so God come and provide the lamb to Cain. But Cain would not. And so in that moment, I would say the lack Cain felt was conceived in his heart, Right? Once that lack is conceived in his heart, it sets in motion sin, is what the scripture would say. The motion of sin is set forth in you. That's where you're now trying to gain life by yourself, right? Have a good day. Love you guys. Love you. Right? That would be sin, iniquity. I guess what got me thinking about it, and I can't really wrap my mind around, I love how you said about the, the flood and everything, but that it says that God came to cleanse the earth of death, but he knew that it was just going to continually grow after, correct? Yeah, it's I a mean, sign. until the end, it was a sign more yeah, than anything. It's a sign and a wonder. And and the fact that they were suffering. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the suffering. My brain's weird sometimes. It can't, like, get around stuff, I guess. It's not weird. That's the wrestling that we're talking about. It's a beautiful thing. You see what I'm saying? It's a beautiful thing to have the, these questions and have these thoughts and then wrestle with them with God. Right? Because your question is great. Okay, took away death there, but here it came again. And it's hard to understand it, you know? Yeah. Well, the ultimate sign is that, that can't, death can't be removed till it's removed from the flesh. And so you 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 don't want to you don't want to just look at it as this happened in Noah. Yes, this happened in Noah, but it's declaring something about what God would do in Jesus to remove death even then. And if you keep reading in Genesis six, it says that it repented God. And if you look at it in the Hebrew, what it says is it repented God that man's bodies were made from dust and they were perishable. Why? Because he saw. That's what was causing them to labor for life. And so it's prophesying of what God would do to eradicate death from the flesh and to make man a body that could never die again that wasn't just dust, which is what he did in the Lord Jesus, right? Death has been consumed inside of the body of Jesus, and he came out of the grave in a body that isn't earthy. His body isn't born from the dust of the ground. His body is born from a heavenly substance. So now the body he's clothed in can never perish. So death has been consumed. You see? Yeah. And he's doing that to build mankind bodies. We got Paul talked about how we have a house in heaven, not made with what? The hands of a man. What's he talking about? He's talking about the body of Jesus that God made. Well, it says the first man, Adam, is earthy, of the dust. 
What does that mean? Adam built himself a body. And the body he built was by the strength of his own hand. And because he used the strength of his own hands to build himself a body, he built a body that was but dust. And dust is perishable. You can blow on dust and it's wood, hay, and stubble, right? It can't stand up. It's like the three little pigs. Little pigs, little pigs, let me in. Not by the hair on my chinny, chin, chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Well, Adam built himself a house that was wood, hay, and stubble. And when the wind came, what happened? So God come and built us a house on, a, on the rock that is his life. And so there's no wood, hay, and stubble. Right? Death has no place in it. Yes. I read this morning, really touched me and said, um, it's inconsequential to seek after God's purpose in your life yeah. when you know yeah. you are his purpose. That's fine. I know. That is just like... And that's why yeah. our dear friend Marie. Yeah. Marie's, yeah. Marie's Cabaret. Yeah. Who so we missed dearly today. We do miss them. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that it was, really that is. I mean, really. Who is it on the Facebook? You, you know, know when, when oh, it meets I like to say when you know who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and what you, what what I would say uh, also, Ronnie, is that um, God couldn't keep those people from deciding to trust in their own works sure. after He cleansed the earth. Right. He can't right. force them to continue in the Spirit. Yeah. Right. Right. And one of Noah's sons went, walked out of the way. And there's a lot you could say about what it means that Ham uncovered Noah's nakedness. It ain't just talking about he uncovered the dude's blanket from him. It ain't just talking about that. I mean, the word nakedness is used many times in the scriptures. It begins with Adam seeing his nakedness. Nakedness is used all the time in the scriptures. Paul talks about desiring to be clothed upon, not unclothed. The scriptures have a long history of talking about nakedness. And so it's not just saying that Ham went and removed the blanket. It's saying something more intense than that. And if you want to know, you can go search out what does nakedness mean. And you can start talking with God about what's the spirit behind Ham uncovering his father's nakedness. What does it mean? You know, and the simple answer is that it means Ham's mind was filled with the wisdom of the serpent. That Ham walked out of the way and looked to the strength in his own hand instead of the spirit of the living God. Right? And then comes his lineage. Nimrod. It's a powerful verse. I remember when I read in Peter that Noah and the eight were saved by the flood. It doesn't say they were saved by the ark. It doesn't say they were saved by the ark. Says they were saved by the flood. Uh, that messed me up for years. I said, "What?" And I promise you, the reason why I just said they were, it doesn't say they were saved by the ark is most people think it says they were saved by the ark. No, it says they were saved by the flood. <laughs> then you start asking God, "How can that be?" Leaving. They're all gone, man. Everybody's leaving us. They're gone. What are you gonna do? <laughs> that's what that's what I feel like sometimes. I preach people out of here. 
<laughs> it's a joke. It's, it's actually a beautiful symptom of preaching the gospel. We, we've had an, an American system where the people became convinced that they were dependent on the ministers or the physical church as if they need some umbrella. And if you're actually preaching the gospel, people realize that they're in God and God's in them. And then they start realizing, no, no, no. I might love this man that's preaching the truth or this woman that's preaching the truth, but they're not my umbrella. Neither are they the mediator, right? And so it creates a different dynamic where people don't come to church out of lust, right? And so people are free to know God's with them whether they come to church or not, right? And so, man, we, we, the only reason we come to church is to, to be encouraged by the, the faith that we all have in our hearts and to see it at work in each of us and to hear it. Because then you walk away feeling greatly encouraged. I think uh, what you were talking about, death, one of the things that I'm just um, blown away by, I no longer... Um, let circumstances in the world trouble me. It's not me, it's him. And it's just a wonderful thing because those circumstances cause death. Yeah. They cause you trouble, they cause you heartache, they cause you loneliness, they cause all that. It's all gone. I take care of that. The agitation of the soul. Your purpose. It wants to agitate your soul. Yep, so. And that when your soul is feeling agitated, that, that's, a, that's a sure sign that the death that's in the world is knocking on your door yep. or trying to press in on your life when you're feeling that agitation, yep. right? And it's not a sign, though, that your, your life is being overcome. It's not a sign God isn't with you. It's also not a sign that something's wrong with you. You know what it's a sign of? You don't like that. <laughs> Guess what? That means there's something right with you, not something there, wrong with there you. There you go. And so now you just sit and you talk with God about where your life is hid, right? And how he got it right to liberate your life from being held by the earth and that your life is no longer but dust. You're not earthy. You're heavenly. Your, your life is hidden with God in Christ. And so now you start talking with God about your life and what kind of life you have and what your life does to the death that's in the world. And you start feeling that agitation sent far away from you. And you start finding strength again, right? And you find your soul restored. And what I just mean by that is you find your emotions calm back down, right? That's right. The elevated agitation, though, is not a sign that something's wrong with you. It isn't. It's a sign that you're in a world where there's death and you don't like it. And it's contrary to you. Okay? And so you're not going to throw a party about things that are contrary to life. And you're going to feel it sometimes. Right? And it's okay. And now you just talk with God about the life you share. But that's why we, that's why we gather. Right? That's why, I, that's why I want to gather. For myself. I mean, you guys might think of, oh, the preacher Greg. And so Greg gathers to preach. And there's, a, there's an aspect of that that is true. But there's also just Greg the person. And Greg the person is not like over here and not needing the same things that every human being needs, even Jesus when he put on corruptible flesh. Right? And Greg the person, the reason why Greg the person gathers is because he wants to be encouraged in the faith. Mm-hmm. 
And he wants to be encouraged by the faith he sees in other people, right? And the testimony of their heart about the faith they have from God. That's that's why Greg the person gathers. You know, Jesus walked past many people who needed help or needed needed him. But he picked a few, yeah. right? And um, because he knew, because he knew um, his father loved them. Any other thoughts or questions? I was going to explain the purpose of the law today. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody had any thoughts. And I'll leave everybody with this thought because it's an interesting comment. One of the things that plagues the church the most right now, I don't mean us, I mean worldwide, is they don't understand the law. Amen. And they do what, what Paul says in to Timothy, they use it unlawfully. Yes. And so most of the church, because they don't understand the law and that the law can't produce righteousness, they use it unlawfully. They use it in a way it was never intended to be used. The law was never intended to produce good fruit in people. And so... Maybe we'll talk about that another day. On one of the stumbling blocks I, I find all the time when I share his love is they go, go right to, no, I must serve. I must serve. I must serve. I must serve. You know, I must please him. Yeah. So that would that'd what, be great. And what would God say? Because we have a great example of that. What would God say to someone saying that? Yeah. Exactly. Unless you let me serve you, then right. you have no part. Absolutely. No. In me. That's a wonderful, you know, that's a wonderful thing he did with, with Peter. Yeah. It's just so poignant. Hey, listen, man, you talk about God serving us and people get very upset. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. But then when you say we don't have life, we come to service with light sometimes, depending on what they, they like, kind of get it a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? But some people are still stuck on the word serve, and they're like, no, no. (laughs) Glory to God. You guys have any other thoughts? Well, man, we've gone a long time. Thanks for you guys tuning in. Thanks for uh, letting us ramble um, with you. Uh, I pray that you were blessed. You guys have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.